Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. In an alternate world, Chicago ska-punk band Slapstick would have released a handful of MTV singles and ska would have been forever associated with greedy punk rock, not as silly music. This alternate reality nearly happened. The group were offered a record deal by Epitaph, but they said no. They broke up not long after, leaving behind a handful of brilliant recordings, some of the best, most respected ska-punk tunes from that era. Our guests today, Brendan Kelly and Rob Kellenberger, talk about their brief life in one of the greatest short-lived ska-punk bands of the 90s. And of course, we also talk about the many amazing bands that rose from Slapstick's ashes. Alkaline Trio, Lauren's Arms, Tuesday, Colossal, and many more. You know, I never got to see Slapstick until the reunion show in 2015. Oh, yeah? I'd played with the Broadways, I'd played with the Tuesday, I'd played with Alkaline Trio, I'd played with Colossal, <laughs> played with Honor System, but I'd never seen Slapstick until that point. And I remember for the Asian Man Records 15th anniversary, Link 80 decided not to play that year, but most of us were in the audience for the Slapstick set. I remember really feeling like all the guys in the band were having that I made a huge mistake moment by not playing. I wouldn't have seen them either had I not been a roadie for Skank and Pickle in the Midwest when Slapstick opened, because I don't even know if they came out this way, or if they did, it wasn't very many times. I don't think that they did. That moment of watching them play was a huge catalyst for Link 80 playing a reunion for the Asian Man Records 20th anniversary, and made me want to continue playing ska punk. When we were off the air with these guys, I asked them if playing the 15th anniversary had ignited anything in them to want to play ska, and both of them just flat out said no. <laughs> There was no hesitation in that answer. No hesitation at all. No, <laughs> neither of them missed playing Ska. Hey, welcome to the In Defense of Ska podcast. I'm Brendan Kelly, and I'm joined by my guests, Adam Davis, Aaron Carnes, and today we have Rob Kellenberger, who I'm excited to get to know. Why don't we kick it off? First, why don't you guys tell me a thing or two about yourselves? Well, um, I was in a band called Slapstick back in the 90s. <laughs> You were actually in a band called Flat Planet, but you toured with Skank and Pickle as their roadie. And who was the opening band on that tour, Aaron? They were called Slapstick. Do either of you remember Aaron being on tour with you? Was that the tour with Seven Seconds? Yes. Um, shit, I remember one roadie that I spent a lot of time with 
It was probably you. I mean, did you have your hair dyed like magenta at the time? I don't think so. Well, there was me and Mitta. Mitta was the dude that booked shows in Stockton. No, I know I know Mitta. Man, this is good listening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it was a seven seconds roadie who had like magenta hair that I spent a dick ton of time with. I just remember being so overwhelmed by the whole thing. And I kind of vaguely remember what Steve Youth looks like, you know, <laughs> like I don't even remember Mitta being on that tour. The only thing I really, truly remember was that I lost my voice after the show in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And what's his name? Lars was like, just eat a full bulb of garlic. It'll fix you right up. <laughs> you know, everyone on that tour, I don't think I got sick, but everyone in Skankapuko got sick and they all were eating as much garlic as they could. I think probably all stemming from Lars. Oh, it was the worst fucking idea. Like, do you know how, like, if you don't have like a propensity for, let's say, poison ivy or something like that, but you fall into like a bush of poison oak and you're stuck there for a while, like suddenly it becomes something that your immune system's like, oh, yeah we're fucked against this shit that's what happened to me with heartburn because of lars telling me to eat a whole fucking goddamn head of garlic so I will never forgive Ska for that. You can defend Ska all you want. My one memory of you on that tour was the first time I saw you guys, you had a Dolomite shirt on. And I was like, all right, I like these guys. That's all it took? Just a shirt? Damn, I used to have a Dolomite shirt? I don't even remember that shit at all. Brendan, you only had like four shirts. You have to have remembered it. <laughs> it was like Red Lobster, the... <laughs> The devil horns in sparkles that was yellow, apparently a dolomite one. And uh, yeah, no, that was about it. The Meshuggahness one that I was wearing when Joe Meshuggahness like totally dressed me down in front of the entire audience. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember having a dolomite shirt, but I'm not saying I didn't. I know I knew you guys already because did you already have your album out? Where were you guys at with Slapstick when that tour started? Rob, would you like to field this question? Nope. Okay, great. <laughs> I have the worst memory. Wait, I can't answer this question, actually. I was at my house. Where were you, Brendan? I was at your house, up in your dad's room, having sex with your dad. <laughs> <laughs> He's still pissed about that. <laughs> oh, no, no. It, it made everything much, much easier around the house. Brendan, do you remember the first time you met me? Uh, I guarantee you don't. Okay, then no. <laughs> <laughs> we were at Fireside Bowl. It was my first time playing at Fireside Bowl, and it was after our set, and you were there, and you started talking to me, and we got into this really deep, long conversation about the rebirth tattoo that you have on your wrist because you'd just gotten it, and you were fucking hammered, and I had no idea who you were for a good 10 minutes, and then I was like, oh, shit, this is the dude from Slapstick. Okay. That was my introduction to Brendan. Just like sweaty post-show, just having this dude get really intimate with me about life. Like my breakup and shitty emotions. Uh, was this a Link 80 show? Yeah, you were just there. Yeah, well, I was there to see Link 80. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit, what was the original question? A lot of things have happened here. Rob just said, I was at my house. I was trying to place the timing of the band Slapstick with that tour that you did with Skank and Pickle in seven seconds. So yeah, you're at your house, and somebody tells you you're going on tour with Skank and Pickle. <laughs> I'm at my house right here! <laughs> <laughs>
No, I, I don't know as far as if the album was out already, but I do remember that we broke down on the way to Minneapolis on that tour and actually ended up headlining the tour at, uh, what is it, First Avenue? Yeah. That's all I can remember about that entire tour, except for Chuck, supposedly from Skank and Pickle, like tackled some dude trying to steal one of the guitars in seven seconds. Oh, I remember that. That's crazy. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, that was crazy. Here's the timeline as it stands, as far as I remember, and my memory is very faulty, as anybody that listens to any of the podcasts I do would be happy to tell you. The first day that I ever saw the Slapstick Look It cassette, which was the first time I ever saw it, that it had been like mass produced or whatever, was when we got to Arizona for the first time on a tour that was really like hodgepodge put together. It was put together by this dude from Lawrence, Kansas, whose name was... It escapes me, but it was the first time we ever went out west. But when we got to Phoenix, people were coming up with the cassette, and that was the first time I had personally ever seen any evidence that this was actually a real thing. And I remember being like, holy shit. People had it before I had it. And then I remember two days later we're in San Diego and people were singing the songs. And I was like, what the fuck? I mean, this was before the internet. It was truly a wild thing to see something like that develop. So on that Seven Seconds tour, which was before that, I think that we were touring on the two seven inches we had. We had done like a demo tape, but I don't think that was like something that we were like really trying to market. We'd had three seven inches, by the way, two seven inches in the split, but the first split was also not something we were really trying to deal with. Rob, am I fucking this up completely? No, you're right about that. I don't know about what we were touring on for that Skink and Pickle tour, but the only thing you're wrong about is that the split seven inch was our best stuff out. Yellow plaid? Brother man? <laughs> You know what, man? I'll tell you this. You may think that stuff sucks, and a lot of the blame would fall on me for the authorship of uh, less than great lyrics, but that shit is like some of the most special shit to me because for whatever reason, it made you fucking dildos think that I was good enough to actually be in that band. (laughs) So (laughs) it changed the course of my life more than anything. Oh yeah, for sure. There's a very special place in my heart for that stuff even as absolutely fucking dumb as it is (laughs) (laughs) how did you guys connect with mike i assume it was mike you guys got on dill first before it turned into asian man we met mike at the skank and pickle show we opened up for skank and pickle at the metro that's the first time we met him i believe is that right brendan that is correct yeah and then i think at that show he asked brendan if we wanted to put something out on dill he asked me rob and i'm sure you'll remember this once i like fucking set the scene a little bit to come across the street and what we did was we stood in front of wrigleyville dogs there you go by a parking meter and he did his thing i don't know that he has a thing now but i don't know what he does anymore but the mike park that was like 20 years younger than i am now (laughs) (laughs) was like You guys are an incredible band. Uh, I have this record label. I would love for you to be on it. And we were standing under this fucking cone of hydrogen vapor Chicago streetlight. It's like kind of like orange looking at the metro where our name is still on the fucking marquee. 
looking at Wrigleyville Dogs where we all want to go because we're all fucking hungry because we just played a show. And he was like, I'd love to put you guys on Dill. I'd like to make a record. And I don't think I'm alone, but Rob, you can chime in here. To me, I was like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, as far as putting out a record on a label? The fuck do you mean? Like, we're just a bunch of kids, like, dicking around. And it wasn't like, we're just some kids dicking around. We don't deserve to be on a label. It was like, we're just some kids dicking around. That's what we do. It's like if somebody tried to sign you for, like, the way you, like, huck mud balls at each other in the backyard you know (laughs) i know that like matt for sure and by association i think probably rob and i mean danny's always been like very um attuned to that kind of thing so it's probably just me (laughs) uh, that just never occurred to me that that was even ever an option and it was just a really really incredible moment of being like i'm also like a little bit fucking stupid when it comes to things like i really need to be shown things or else i don't understand them and this was one of those moments where mike park was like i'd like to do this for you what you're doing is cool and i was like oh fuck i didn't even realize that (laughs) you know that this could be considered to be cool I don't know. That's so interesting because so many members of Slapstick went on to form bands that were professional, but you guys didn't think of music as a as a potential for that in the early days. I'm speaking exclusively for myself. I think that Rob and Matt and Rob, please correct me if I'm wrong, had like a little more acumen when it came to this stuff. The whole reason that I first contacted them after our initial meeting was because they had made like very professional tapes and they had like actual t-shirts. And I was like, how do you do this kind of thing? I was and remain like remarkably naive. And I think that I am unique in that among the players in Slapstick. I think everybody else was a lot smarter than me and knew what was going on, and I did not. I think you're a little off there because I think we all were pretty unassuming about what this could do or what we could do with it. We just wanted to play music and hang out. It's kind of weird how Slapstick had success because we were all just like, it really felt like we were just getting together to play music and write music that we really liked. That was it. The only thing I remember thinking about as far as like business wise is how many people can we get to come to our show by flyering the fireside like every night? Yeah. And I mean, like, I, I don't I don't want to uh, paint myself as like some sort of naive lamb amongst. But you guys knew stuff and I, I did it. Even when we like talked to Brett Gerwitz later on and Matt's like, are you out of your fucking mind? This is like the best label and these are our favorite bands that are on it. And I was like, I don't know. I just was like too stupid. I performed badly the entire time. <laughs> I just did a bad job. I didn't know what was going on. And it's because I was like a fucking weird loner only child. And you guys were like the first friends I ever had. And I never talked to anyone before. And like, <laughs> I didn't know. I just didn't know. I think that's all. It's really funny hearing you talk about your experiences from your perspective, because we all thought, oh man, it would be amazing to have this dude who's so like vicious in front of a crowd heading our band and like your confidence was so like crazy. 
you're saying that you didn't know anything or you were just kind of hanging on, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's like, even right now doing this, I can almost guarantee you there's like show brain and like real brain. I won't remember this when I get done with it. I'll remember what happened right before it, but it's like, I don't remember being on stage with the Lawrence Arms very often and it's not like a drunk thing like i could walk up there being like oh my god i'm gonna shit my pants and i have a terrible fever and chris hates me and he's like giving me the stink eye <laughs> and when i get onto the stage and i go yo what's happening i'm running that's chris that's neil or lawrence arms it's like a whole different brain comes in i mean obviously i developed that in slapstick I learned everything from you guys, which is why I'm a cromulent musician now. A hundred percent. I mean, like, imagine taking a child that had no friends <laughs> and then putting him in a room with Rob Kellenberger, Matt Stamps, Dan Hanaway, Pete Anna, Dan Andriano, and then just having that person soak up all of that it's a gift to my soul i don't take lightly it was amazing i didn't know my fucking dick from shinola i believe that's the phrase yeah <laughs> so before mike park you know rolled into town and showed you guys a new path were you guys popular amongst your peers or the kids you were trying to get to go to shows and stuff to see you guys we did pretty okay in like elgin <laughs> we were extraordinarily popular i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> we did okay i mean We'd play this place that we called the third floor loft that had like 250 capacity. We'd pack 750 people in there. It was gnarly. Was it quick? Did you guys take off quickly? It went pretty quick because how long we were, were we together, Brendan? Only like four years or something like that or three years. I believe it started in 87 and ended in 89. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was a pretty big scene in Elgin where me and Matt, grew up dan went to school in elgin and most of the horn players were from right around there but there was already like a huge support and scene in elgin by the time we like started slapstick it was already kind of getting bigger i think the scene was already just there people wanted to go to shows all the time so we had a lot of people just showing up because there were shows to go to it was fun slapstick was fun to listen to i guess it's so weird to say because you like you look at the 90s and you go, oh, yeah, you know, like all that ska punk and all that kind of stuff was like the scene was lousy with that shit. Right. When we added horns to slapstick, it was like fucking cold fusion to punk rock. At the time, it blew minds. I mean, it blew my mind. Like, this was Matt and Rob's idea. And Dan's, I didn't know enough to know that there should be horns in ska bands. But, like, when we got the horns, people were like, holy shit. It just became so much more of an event. It was like that band that's like all those like very young punk kids flying around, like jumping off the rafters. And then they've got dudes from the band, like the school bands, the cool guys from the band. It made it like an event. I don't really know how to say it because it sounds so stupid now because there was so much of that. But at the time, there was none of that. You know, like the Boston's didn't identify as a punk band at that time. 
they identified as like a third tier mainstream rock band and they were like in converse commercials on tv skank of pickle was a ska band and we were a punk band that had horns and for that particular time the world was surprised by it i think back to that era there was suicide machines those guys were very very punk rock you guys were definitely very punk rock but you had a strong ska component so it's like you guys were you had your feet in both camps like just enough to sort of satisfy both worlds and, and to sort of bridge them really well. <laughs> Rob, do you remember when we played that show in Nashville for that dude at that bar where it was just like a shitty bar across the corner and it was like open wires hanging down behind it and the entire bar was one case of Budweiser? <laughs> and then we went back to stay at his house and he put on some fucking weird movie all of his like pit bulls like surrounded us on his like hardwood floor and he had no furniture oh my god i i have no recollection of that but it probably happened (laughs) oh that shit happened i might forget stuff or like get dates wrong but i don't make up the (laughs) we stayed with a nazi skinhead on his like fucking shitty walnut floors while his like dogs licked me all night long So we played this show and it was it was one of our first tours, probably after the seven seconds tour, because I think that was our first thing that we ever really did. Rob, besides like a weekender to like Whitewater, Wisconsin or something like that, right? Yeah, for sure. I feel like I remember the talk with Pickle before that tour was like, this is their first thing. They're nude on being on the road. I feel like that checks out. Yeah. And so after that. What's weird, this was still Matt booking us, I think. Or maybe it was What's-His-Dick from What's-It Entertainment. I don't remember what that Yeah, shit. why can I not remember that at all? All I can remember about that dude is he got us the weirdest shows of all time in places we should never have been playing. Was it the same guys that we used? Ozark Talent? Yeah, that's right. Ozark, Steve Ozark. Yeah, it was Steve Ozark. He came out to Asian Man Records' 20th anniversary. He was there? He was there. He looked great. Oh, yeah. I fucked him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Steve Ozark Ozark booked us in the basement of a crack house. Straight up. That was better than the places we played, though. We would play for bars where they would ask us to not play. (laughs) (laughs) This bar in Nashville is exactly what you're talking about, Rob. It was one rectangle. Like the kind of bar you buy from Ikea. But back then, I don't know where the fuck you got that. (laughs) It was was just like slanted against the corner. And like all like the foam tiles on the ceiling, like there's just wires hanging out of them. And there's a fridge there. And there's one case of Budweiser clearly bought just recently from someplace else. There's no like liquor license situation going on at all. This was the place and they wouldn't let us in because we were too young. And the guy that was booking the show was the skinhead. And he's like, yeah, I know it's cool. You guys are a ska band. And he like wore, uh, what's the unoffensive way to say wife beater or Dago tea? Because I'm trying to find a (laughs) third way. Anyway, he's wearing that offensive title shirt. He's already just fit to be tied with us. Just can't stand us. Because we're just like, yeah, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah, fuck your mom. Woo. 
you know? <laughs> <laughs> and our fans cannot get in because it's 21 and over, but he has his like rude boyfriends come in. And I mean, it's all just like Fred Perry fucking just the worst of the worst. Just gross Nazi adjacent fucking shitheads, right? I don't want to like cast any like total aspersions, but I don't feel like these dudes are, they're not punching Richard Spencer. You know what I'm saying? Brendan, aren't you talking about the show where Peter's whole family showed up? Uh, God, I don't remember that. No, the skinheads. Dude, I feel like you're like trying to click into a memory that's like totally hilarious and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. My brain is dust. <laughs> but we started playing and our fans had to stand outside the door. And this is not Rob, what's it called Panama Reds in Kansas City. I want to be clear that that's a different story. I'm not conflating the two stories, but this homeboy who was booking this show his friend showed up and they were all like militant skins hey you know what they could have been like militant skins for like healthcare for all i really don't know <laughs> i will tell you this they didn't like slapstick <laughs> there was a segment of skinheads that were not racist that were just assholes and hated <laughs> ska punk so um, it is possible that that's the people you were dealing with because those people would show up to ska punk shows and give the meanest stares to the ska punk bands fucking up their perfect ska. How do they show their their uh, their dislike for slapstick? By leaving. <laughs> <laughs> That's almost polite. Come on. I just love that you said there is some sort of demarcation of skinheads that weren't racist, but were still assholes. It's like, yeah, skinheads are fucking <laughs> assholes. Sorry, I know it's a ska podcast and everything, but like I have met literally two skinheads in my life that are cool. And I've been in a ska band. <laughs> if you're not Damon or Dave Simon, you're probably an asshole of some kind. <laughs> but so yeah, so everybody left, which made the guy who is the promoter furious as shit. And he brought us back to the house just angrier than the person should be at a bunch of 16 year olds who shouldn't be allowed to be in <laughs> Tennessee at all. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're sleeping on his floor watching some sort of horror movie while his fucking bull terriers fucking sentinel around us like fucking Nazi prison guards. You don't know what horror movie that was that you were watching? First it was porn and then it was turned to horror. I like that those are always the two options, porn or horror. I don't really tend to recall the names of either of those genres of movies. <laughs> so wait, quick little sidebar as far as horror goes. Have you guys heard of the movie Uncle Peckerhead? Yeah, yeah. My my homeboy's in that movie. What's his dick from uh, The Holy Mess? Yeah. So the, the, the movie's about a fake band called Dud. And the thing that lends so much authenticity to this movie is that his actual van, all of his actual gear is in the movie and the music the band is pretending to play is music that he wrote. So it's all like legit punk music. There's a slapstick reference in the movie. Get the fuck out. Like to Charlie Chaplin. There's a whole scene about metalhead in the parking lot. Shut up. And it straight up cuts to a like caption that just says about the metalheads in the parking lot. 
it's so blatant and amazing. Neither of you guys knew about this? No. You have to go watch this. It's a legitimately good movie. Well, I mean, like, I'll tell you this. Rob wrote the chorus to that song just effortlessly, as Rob does, just fucking cranked it. He was just like, what if the chorus was this? And it's just like, what the fuck? Really? Just one second? That's what you need? Okay. <laughs> and then I, um, I wrote the verses, which whatever it's fine but i did name the song and oh and rob also wrote the outro that was was the first encouragement for me to sing in like a very clean voice wasted time wasted day wasted day waste away we wasted away it's the first time i ever like had the confidence to do something like that i still to this day in my heart want to do something with you where you're pretty much singing in your clean voice and I'm doing harmonies because of that exact song. Well, I got big news for you. I have a whole band called The Wandering Birds where I sing only clean. It's a rotating cast. And yes, come on. And just just to keep it on brand, it's pure ska. Next one is all ska. <laughs> in Defense of Ska will return in a moment. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The lyrics and the title of that song, is there a story behind it or was it just kind of whatever? I believe that... See... The way my brain wants to go, and I don't know if this is like true or apocryphal, is that I think I had just seen Heavy Metal Parking Lot, and they were like, fuck Madonna, she's a dick, that punk shit, it belongs in space, and all that stuff. And when Rob said it looks so scary to me, it immediately made me think of that. Oh, punk rock looks so scary to you. You know, fuck Madonna, she's a dick. A punk shit belongs in space. Which is funny to think of Madonna as like some sort of like standard bear for punk rock. I don't have a better answer than that. Is that actually true? I don't know. But that like came to my mind so fast in terms of like what I think I remember. 
that's the best I can probably do. I'd always imagined it flipped around that it's the punk looking at the metalhead in that perspective of seeing it as being scary. That's cool to hear it. It's the other way around. Now, like before, like I met these dudes, I would have been the metalhead in the parking lot. And I don't think that I was trying to title that song in a um, even self-referential way at all. But that would have been me. That's who I associated myself with. There's a metalhead in the parking lot. It looks so scary to me. Like, that could have been from the metalhead's perspective. As a metalhead, we didn't know what to do, obviously. We were listening to metal all the time. What ultimately led to the demise of Slapstick? I'll take this one. Thank you. Brennan's explained this so many times. Sure. I think that we just got to a point where it was like at this point where we could go this one direction, which was really buying into this ska punk band, which to be honest, I don't think anybody was that thrilled about at the time. By that time, I think everybody's interests were kind of moving to something else. Brennan was just the first one to realize it. I don't think he really wanted to do ska as much anymore and wanted to do just like punk rock music. It was just kind of like a decision. Do we want to go this full ska, like bigger thing, or do we want to do something we like playing? Brennan kept on bringing songs that were like straight up punk rock songs to practice. And in his defense, we were like, these don't really fit with this band we wouldn't put in the the same effort we were putting into everything else we were doing. And so I'm pretty sure that was super disenchanting to come to practice, excited about these songs that he was writing. And then we're all just like, yeah, but don't you want to put some sky in these songs or what about the horns? After a while of that, I think Brennan was just like not into it anymore. And him and Dan Hannaway kind of were like, let's do something else. We tried to see if we could do it ourselves, but, the whole thing was Brendan anyway, so it was kind of hard to go on without the main dude. So That's a really, really kind assessment of the whole thing. What I would say was I was a total dick and thought that I could do whatever I wanted. And uh, <laughs> you're right about the part where I was like not wanting to be in a ska band. But then like I'm talking to Hannaway and he's like, they're having secret practices without you. What that was, it wasn't even, (laughs) it was like, can we even do this without Brendan? I think we did it one time and we were like, yeah, this is not going to really work. Well, I mean, you did (laughs) do that band though. But like the thing is, what I think the key nugget of this question is, is that like, we were like very young kids that found lightning in a bottle, in a bottle that like, maybe it was like not what we all wanted to find once slapstick broke up tuesday went on to be like one of the great emo bands of the 90s you know and like we became the broadways which existed also (laughs) i think it's reversed and then I was lucky enough to be able to like reinvent it into the Lawrence arms and then the Falcon and the wandering birds, whatever. Like that whole thing was just like slapstick was lightning in a bottle. That is if you remove me from it, despite what Rob says, that's the six most talented musicians I've ever met. And I just 
had to be the Italian dildo up front that went like, hey, hey, <laughs> which is the fucking best job in the world. Don't get me wrong. At the same time, there was a lot of strategizing going on. I was too naive to understand. There was a lot of what's going to happen here. There was a point where I no longer trusted that my own ethics were in line with what was going on, which was stupid and bad and wrong. And there was also a time where I had to either go to college or like disassociate from my mom, <laughs> which also not something I was like totally into doing because I did have a scholarship to go to college and I only applied to one fucking college. So it would have been extraordinarily rude. I mean, rude is an understatement, but I didn't want to be in a ska band anymore. And I'll tell you this, I have nothing but respect for like Jake and Roger and JR and Buddy and Vinny in Less Than Jake, who were dudes that like came up at the same time as we did. And Jay Navarro, who's the only guy that's still a suicide machine, I guess at this point. But man, I'm fucking glad I'm not still playing those fucking songs I wrote when I was 16. <laughs> it's definitely a blessing in disguise for sure, because I don't think I was really that into the songs when we wrote them. Like it was fine. That's not the stuff I listened to. You know, Rob, that was the conversation was me and Matt. And I said, I think I went on like some sort of vacation or something. I came back and it was the stuff that would eventually become the, the Tuesday EP. And I said something like, and I don't know, if I wasn't in this band, I would never listen to Ska. I'm sorry. I know this is the defense of Ska. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, maybe you shouldn't be in the band then. I think he was just pissed off because you never drove the van on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys almost sign to Epitaph? I, I feel like I heard something about that. 100%. We almost signed to Epitaph, yeah. Can I hear about that? I've only heard as much as I just asked. That's all I've ever heard about this. We played a show in, uh, where was it? Corona? or Yeah, Corona at the showcase. And uh, Brett came out. He came out to see it, brought the whole like Epitaph crew and watched the show. And then afterwards asked us if we wanted to do a record on Epitaph. I think, was that when Hellcat first started? He wanted the Slapstick record to be Hellcat 001 before the first Hellcat comp. He said, I want to kick it off and then I'm going to do a comp. You guys are a great band and we're going to make your records and we're going to sell a lot of copies and we're all going to make a lot of money. This was the ultimate fracture of Slapstick right there because me and Dan Hannaway were like, what the fuck? It's so crazy to me still. It's so stupid. I I'm on Epitaph now, man. And Bad Religion. <laughs> I know. My favorite band. Yeah. That guy was in my favorite band. He still is. At the time... You know, it was like youthful idealism and like I didn't know and I just like I learned what ska was from Rob, man. Uh like I learned what punk was from Matt. Like Matt literally was like, oh no, this is punk rock. So I had like kind of like a fucking wild idea about the whole thing. But Dan Hannaway, he's also like a wide-eyed idealist. 
and when the words will make a lot of money came up we were both like no no not at all was it strictly like the ethics about money or was it did it make you go like wait a minute if we're about to sell a whole bunch of ska records do i really really want to be a ska guy nope it was purely it was like this was a capitalist endeavor you can see how that turns into the broadways at a certain point, which is our non-ska band, in defense of bad political punk bands. Uh, <laughs> next podcast. <laughs> it was the fracture. And like I remember Matt being like, are you crazy? Bad Religion is your favorite band. And, and like he was a hundred percent right like i was completely out of my mind drunk on a power i didn't even have it was so stupid <laughs> god i wish i could had more to say or like any defense but it was just it was a, the wrong thing to do but i'm not still in less than jake uh <laughs> <laughs> i would say with confidence had you guys released an album on epitaph you guys would have shot up to that next level of a lot of those same bands with that kind of um, label support behind you in 1997. I totally think that would have happened. Yeah. Because I mean, we're the fucking best punk ska band that there ever was. <laughs> yeah. By far. I mean, like <laughs> oh my God. Rob Kellenberger, don't you fucking talk bad about your siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was, um, there was a special magic to slapstick that i think was actually not touched by our two main contemporaries which was suicide machines and less than jake and there was like a really humanist and like grimy gutter thing that we did that i don't feel like those guys ever did i feel like suicide machines never even tried and less than jake came close but the just like the grime i feel like is something that's like very unique to us i feel like it's like op ivy could do it effortlessly and i've seen an article that was like these two contemporaries slapstick and op ivy are the only two ska bands that and i was like contemporaries but they ended in 89 and we started in 92 that's we are contemporaries crazy but they're better than us by the way uh i'm not saying we're better. <laughs> thank you for the clarification did anyone need to hear that <laughs> yeah yeah when you guys did the reunion show uh for asian man 15 i think that seemed like it was a big deal in terms of the way the audience reacted to you guys playing that show in fact i distinctly remember you guys seeming surprised on stage like almost the whole set that it was happening and that the reaction you were getting. The biggest surprise about that, I think in my mind was we got together to practice in some practice space out there somewhere. We hadn't played together for, I don't even know, 10, 15 years or whatever. But from the time we started playing, it was like, we never stopped playing. It was insane. No, Rob. And you tell this story. What about Matt's colleagues? Oh, my God. <laughs> and listen, I, like, love Matt to death. He's still my best friend ever. He just gets real uptight about this stuff. 
Well, this is the problem. He was trying to get a job. No, 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 no. Nope. You're mixing up stories. That was Riot Fest. Yeah, that's Riot Fest. I'm talking about San Francisco and his two friends were like, oh, we'll come down and see your high school band play. You tell it then. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, uh, shit. Because you told me this story, Rob. I'm sure I did. So Matt worked at this one law firm. I'm sure he works at a law firm now, too. But he was like, yeah, I got to go down to San Francisco. Like the band I was in high school is playing a show. And there's two of his colleagues who worked in the same law firm were like, oh, we're going to be down in San Francisco. We'll go check you out. <laughs> right? Wait, was that when he said, I don't want you to say any like any bad words or no? That was Riot Fest. This doesn't have anything to do with me doing anything bad. All stories don't have to be about me being an asshole. <laughs> Most are. But uh, <laughs> uh, Matt's like, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure you guys can, you know, get in for free or whatever. And I think that those dudes were like imagining like some sort of like high school jazz band, like playing in the corner of like a small bar or whatever. And instead, it's like 600 capacity room that's like filled to 750, <laughs> like with everybody like screaming. And, and going crazy and like <laughs> when matt comes out and they're like what the fuck was that <laughs> which is such a like fucking i don't know like big dick energy power flex to just be like nah, yeah no you can come see my high school band play yeah for sure <laughs> but he absolutely let him fucking sit the entire time like never like no, 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 I'm warning you. No, nothing. <laughs> we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, it's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian, and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ, how do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. So, Brendan, um, right before the 15th anniversary, I wrote an article for the uh, San Jose Metro on Mike Park. And um, you and I had exchanged a few emails. I was going to interview you, but I think it just kind of didn't pan out. I was doing an article about who Mike Park really was, the, the Mike Park that all of us know, not the Mike Park that presents himself as a very serious person to the public. Yes. So you did say something in an email to me. I pulled it up. I, I want to hear a little bit about the story. So you say, um, I can't wait to tell the world about the way he regurgitates Triscuits back onto other Triscuits, <laughs> melts cheese on it, and serves it to people, allegedly. So, okay, so a bit of this is a little bit um, character assassination, and I would like to apologize for that, but it's not too much. Um, the main thing is, we were in New Mexico, and Mike Park was like, come over to our hotel. We're staying here. It's me and Hero. And so Mike is sitting there, and he's just like in his tidy whities just like farting and like pulling the farts up with like his cupped hand to his nose oh i love them so much oh no they smell so good right uh this is this is his thing but he's also eating triscuits and he's making like a little tray 
and he's taking one Triscuit and chewing it and then spitting it onto another, and it kind of looks like pate. This is actually one of the first times I've ever been able to discuss this without, like, gagging. It's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my fucking life. And he was like, Brendan, don't you just want to, like, serve these on a tray? Like, you take some Parmesan cheese, sprinkle it on them, and just serve them to people? I'm like, you're fucking perverse. Like, no, (laughs) I, I don't want to do that. And to be 100% clear, I would forfeit my life if Mike Park ever actually did that. There's no chance. It was just him being gross for like his homies. That's not like how he rolls at all. But um, I mean, it made me throw up in the room. Like, uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know. Like, think about the last time you just saw something and barfed uh because (laughs) there's not a lot of those in my like mental catalog at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) this was one of those things you know props to my park um you know um created like one of the most inclusive pure ska organizations with people of almost like every like race and sexuality and the whole nine yards also the triscuit thing (laughs) (laughs) brendan plea for peace tour just any random memory of mike from that tour go what do i remember about what mike park from that tour all i fucking remember was i remember you dudes really kind of like fucking running the show a little bit like as like that sort of like middle of the set rulers, you know? And then I remember being like, damn, Alcon Tree is big now. That was what I remember from that tour. I Oh no. And I remember one other thing. Us and the Honor System were the first two bands on that on that tour. Honor System single file, best album that Mike Park has ever put out. Mike Park has said to me Oh, I strongly disagree. (laughs) But we like had played a show somewhere in the South and those dudes went to eat at a diner, like in a parking lot and their guitar player, Nolan was supposed to drive. And we, the Lawrence arms, uh, degenerates, we're just sitting in the parking lot drinking forties. It was an all night drive. Nolan had to drive. He ran to the liquor store Bought a six pack, chugged the whole thing before Dan and Rob were done eating their food and passed out on like the mattress in the back of their van. Those dudes had been up all night driving the night before. They were very unhappy about that. But that's the main thing I remember about that tour. I have a question I have a question for Rob. You played on the Chinkies album, right? The first Chinkies album? I think I played on the first two. The first one and a half, maybe, yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like from the conversation we had about Slapstick that you guys were kind of over Scott at that point. Was it just like fun because it was a one-off project or were you kind of over Scott when you guys recorded that? I think Danny wrote one Scott song that we put on that first Chinky's record. That's a great song. Not Your Pet. Not or... Your Pet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great song. So that was like the last like Slapstick stuff, I think. And then we wrote a whole bunch of Tuesday stuff. But yeah, we were definitely done with Scott at that point. 
but I guess in, in the context of recording, it was just so quick in and out that it wasn't really anything that was uh, bothersome to be doing ska for this recording session. Oh no, it was fun. Cause it was, we were getting to hang out with Mike and he would be like, okay, here's the song. We would record the instruments and then he would go out outside the studio and sit there with his acoustic guitar and write the next song. And then he would come back in and show us. And then we would record that one. Yeah. It was awesome. It was fun. Yeah, I feel like that first, the first Chinkies album was probably one of the better ska punk albums from that era. You know, now in 2021, when you kind of look back and listen to those records, that's one of the better records, I think. Yeah, it was cool too because Nick did some vocals on that record. I never met him, but it was cool being able to record on something with him too. Let's talk. I want to just kind of just as a, with the slapstick family tree, I want to know what you guys personally think are the best or maybe most underappreciated projects that have happened under the family, the slapstick family tree umbrella. Easily it's honor system single file. That's like yeah. the best punk record of the last like fucking 20 years. And nobody gives a shit about it. And it's crazy to me. Everything on that record is great. The drumming is insane. Every minute of it is fucking insane the last song i could do without but like if you can just like trim off the last song of our album it's still a perfect perfect album that's like how i feel about no control a bad religion the one thing that i always noticed about the the honor system album is there's there's auto-tune on the vocals and it drives me crazy well you know what so that's like back when matt was first like learning about auto-tune and it is that chunky auto-tune and um because it was just the limitations of the technology at the time and dan is a flat singer no two ways about it as great as his whole fucking program is he's not uh rob kellenberger to uh, (laughs) put it (laughs) casually into the room and um matt was using it and what i said when i heard the first mix because after the Broadways broke up. I was still very friendly with Dan and I became very friendly with Dan again, I guess I should say. And he was like, I hate this fucking auto tune on this shit. And I was like, dude, it's the coolest fucking thing. I feel like you should take this record back and like put like 808 beats in it and fully commit to it because you would change the world. It would have been the shape of punk to come before the shape of punk to come and it would have fucking blown minds but guess who's a little bit stubborn rob <laughs> <laughs> yeah you couldn't couldn't imagine so that didn't work out but uh i it doesn't bother me i guess is my point all the link 80 dudes used to just sing that line that in that first song that where you can really hear the auto tune and we would sing it like we were auto tuned <laughs> These nails can be <laughs> We appreciate you guys coming on and chatting with us. It's been a great time. Yeah, no, it's it's been great. Thanks for having me. Um, I know it's been a pleasure to have Rob, but thanks for having me too. Uh... <laughs> Wait, I have, I have one more question for Brandon, really quick. Okay. Do you know how well Rob Rob can rap? Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, after me, he's the best rapper in the band. Oh, <laughs> snap. So 
you guys both have skills then is that something you guys would do in the van on tour uh, that's something that uh we developed in the lawrence arms like much later to a point where it became like almost psychotic um and <laughs> we were like really really good rob is great he used to be in a band called the quickness and the reason um, <laughs> And I thought it was called The Quickness and the Raisin. And I was like, I don't know how you came up with such a great band name. He's like, no, The Reason. And I was like, oh, anyway. <laughs> Rob, why are you so good at freestyling? I mean, I I don't think I am, but uh, I do remember having amazing, amazing, amazing times in the, in the, uh, the blue bus in Europe with Link 80 and MU330. There's a really good videotape somewhere where Rob Bell is just calling out topics and different people are taking turns freestyling. You dominate the entire time, but like Steve Borth and Ryan Noble are up in the mix. A couple other people like will like try and get like a, a little bit in and then like completely flub, but then you're just like <laughs> killing it. But then my, my favorite is just Rob Bell just calling out topics. The topic is yeah. hats. And then you just have to laugh about hats. <laughs> It's the best video ever. I want the whole thing to like be on a DVD at some point. I like hats. They're fucking always on chairs like cats, but they never leave no hair. Oh yeah, anyway, it's like that. Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Scum. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaronparnes.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Scum podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to pre-order my book, In Defense of Scum, go to clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying, Scum now more than ever. Thank you. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.